You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today, I'm so excited to welcome my guest, Paul Redman, who is president and CEO of Longwood Gardens in Kennett Square, PA, one of the great gardens of the world. And I can attest to that personally. Paul and I have been working together for a number of years, and it is the one place where when I'm done with my trainings, I sit there and think to myself, could I stay just a little bit longer, please, just so that I can walk around the gardens? And sometimes I actually get to do that. It's truly, truly beautiful. Paul, welcome to Speaking to Influence. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me today. It's really great to be here. Now, before we launch into the official questions, I've got to ask you one off-the-record question, except for it's on the record. So besides Longwood, which is, of course, the most beautiful place on earth, what's the second most beautiful place you've ever been? Well, as you can imagine, that's a really difficult question for me to answer, but I do have one answer for you. And I would say the island of Kauai in Hawaii. And it's a very special place because that's where I began my career a long time ago. (laughs) And I I think that if there were some place where God or whatever eternal being there is that's going to go on vacation and escape from the world, that's where that being would go. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful. That's my place. So Hawaii, but not just Hawaii, specifically Kauai. Kauai, right. The Garden Isle, right? (laughs) Is that known as the Garden Isle? Okay, see, I learned something already and we haven't even officially begun yet. That's great. All right, so you've all got it on your bucket list of places to visit. Thanks. So my first question for you then is, in your current role, and of course, Longwood Gardens is a DuPont estate. It is a very unique kind of business. Who do you need to influence in this leadership role? And how is that different from who you've needed to influence in previous roles? The simple answer is everyone. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's the simple answer. It's everyone. But Longwood is a different type of entity. And in many ways, we're a private nonprofit organization. And so I have an 18-member board of trustees that uh, I am responsible to. And so ultimately, influencing that board and having them as a partner is absolutely critical. But probably even more importantly, it's all of my colleagues and volunteers here at Longwood. And uh, having that relationship and understanding where we're going, why we're doing what we're doing, and helping to connect those strategic dots and threads is absolutely critical. And then if I were to look beyond Longwood's garden walls, it's the external community because Longwood is an anchor cultural institution in our region of Philadelphia. And so the role that we're playing not only in the quality of life, but in the economic factor of our region is significant. And, and so the relationships that we have and the understanding of what Longwood is doing and what our vision is and how that fits into an even larger vision for the region is absolutely critical. I can just imagine, and something you said caught my ear in particular, and it's the wide difference between groups that you have to speak with to influence, ranging from the board of directors to volunteers, 
And volunteers in some ways are the hardest people to mobilize, to get on board. It can be like herding cats sometimes. And, you know, if they're not happy, they don't have to come back. They, they really have to buy in to what you're doing. They have to feel love for the whole purpose. Am I off on this? No, you're, you're absolutely correct because, I mean, volunteers, obviously, they're, they are working. I mean, volunteers are right. unpaid staff. They're working for different reasons. But I think that I would take it even further in the fact that it's probably common for most nonprofit employees also. Sure. Because, you know, people don't go into the nonprofit work or to start growing flowers to become rich. They're not being motivated by the money that's involved. That's the motivation comes from another more intrinsic, higher calling. And so connecting with what that calling is and reminding people what that calling is and seeing how it's happening every day, that's essential to continuing to motivate. The importance of those who are, are there because it's more about the love for the whole principle than the paycheck. I mean, that counts too, but still. Yeah, no, the, the paycheck matters, but sure. people want to feel valued and they want to feel yes. like that they want to make a difference. And I know for a fact that just from our student programs here and the work that we do in the professional development realm, that even the what I would call the younger people that are coming up through the pipeline now, they have a different motivation in working. That's the time off is more important, but the sense of really truly wanting to give back to something bigger and a higher calling is stronger than what it was even when I was in school. And let's face it, we all want to eat. Uh, right. We still have to be able to. <laughs> we still have to be able to pay those bills. But the the fulfillment of the heart, as well as the fulfillment of the bank account, is an important balance. Absolutely, no, absolutely, for sure. So, in order to do that, then, what specific communication skills did you have to learn and develop in order to either get to that C level role or to be successful there? What was a leap for you? Gosh, Laura, I don't even know where I would begin with that. There's been, <laughs> there's been so many learning lessons along the way. I mean, after all, I just wanted to grow flowers in, in, in the beginning, <laughs> you know. But um, I would say that the first skill, I think, from a communication standpoint, is writing. Because I think that the ability to articulate a vision, an idea, whatever it may be, in writing is absolutely critical. And especially right now during this period of time when we're communicating by email so much. But if you cannot compose a thought in writing, then your ability to be able to articulate that thought verbally, I think is even more challenging. And was that a challenge? Was that a steep learning curve compared to previous, even though you were in other leadership roles prior? Yes, of course. I, I had to learn, and it, was, and it was probably more about the style of the writing, the, the style, the communication, and the importance of succinctness. You know, that's mm. my, my, my formal you know, education background is my graduate degree in horticulture is essentially in plant physiology. And so the way that I would write as a scientist is yes. much, much different than the way that I would write something that I'm trying to communicate to our members, to the volunteers, as we were talking about, or even to our board. Yes. And so it's, it's a different language and it's a, it's a different approach that you want. I couldn't relate more. I came out of academia and originally my, I was a professor and I refer to myself now as a recovering academic, but I had to unlearn everything that they spent 10 years beating into my head in order to be able to just sound like a person that other than academics would be able to understand and relate to. And it, it is quite the learning curve. Absolutely. And then the, I think the other opportunity for me was is that in my previous career, when I was uh, in Columbus, Ohio, where I was the executive director of a public garden there, 
I was fortunate in that I had um, this gardening news segment on the local CBS affiliate. And my co-host for the gardening segment was the chief meteorologist for that CBS station. And when we started producing this three-minute segment, which, as you know, in television, three minutes is a long time. Yes. And so when we started producing that three-minute segment, I was talking as a horticulturist and as a scientist. Yes. And I will never forget, Mike said to me, he said, Paul, you've got to understand the people that are out there that are watching this and the words that you have to use have to be so quick, they have to be so clear and so succinct that you can't talk this way. And so learning to articulate a story within a three-minute or 30-second segment, that taught me more than anything, I would say, probably just from that quick television career that I had. Yes, yes. And nowadays, they're talking about 12-second sound bites. You need to give the media 12 seconds. Yeah, exactly. There's succinct, and then there's insane, (laughs) trying to get it down that tight. Right. And And it's also the level of information that you're providing. I mean, it has to be understandable and digestible because... Not everyone that you're talking to has a graduate degree, you know, and so it has to be embraced by everybody. And even if they do, it's not necessarily in your world. Right. No, exactly. Right. Right. All those plant terms go right over my head. I've got a graduate degree would not have helped me on those segments. I'm I'm pretty sure about that. Then along that road, along that curve, what's one mistake you made or a lesson you had to learn the hard way? And if you could go back and do a do-over, what would that look like? From a communication standpoint? Yes, yes. Oh, God, again, I said there have been so many lessons learned along, along the way. Pick a juicy one. You know, I think one, again, I, and I would go back to my days um, in Columbus. I think of reflecting upon that because I was a young chief executive. I mean, I was 30 years old when I became executive director of that garden. Wow. And uh, so I was green in more ways than one. And I'll never forget this one particular time I uh, was in a meeting with board members, actually. Mm. And we were facing a pretty serious situation, or at least what I thought was a very serious situation. And I made the mistake of getting them in the room and saying, here's the problem. And I didn't follow that up with a solution Mm. or a strategy Mm. or an articulation of what it really meant to the Mm. institution. And of course, they were looking at me like, how serious is this? What's going on with this? And without a doubt, I learned some lessons then about not only being prepared, but about the manner in which I'm communicating it and what I needed to do to be prepared when I need a response or I need support on something. And what is that? So if you could go back and do it over again, what would you have done? I would have been better prepared. I would have had my story down. I not only would have articulated what the problem was, but I would have followed up with here's exactly what we need to do, A, B, C, D, and E, and here's the resources that we need to accomplish it, and this is what the impact will mean to the institution. Paint the full picture for them. They can shoot it down, ask questions, challenge, but at least you've shown the whole package. And so the, the key is vagueness is danger. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great soundbite for you, everybody. There's your big takeaway for the day. Vagueness is danger. I like it. Okay, so we're done now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you have a lot more in you, so I'm going to keep okay. squeezing it. okay. From here, now you've gone from that kind of executive director position early on in Columbus. Now you're at Longwood. What's the next big goal, either for you or something you'd like to do from within Longwood? And what skills will you need to develop to reach that goal? Communication skills. Gosh, you're asking really good questions, Laura. I like to dig. I'm going to address this from the professional and the the personal, if that's Okay. okay. Please. On the professional side, 
we have very ambitious plans for Longwood. And I don't think I'm being boastful by saying that I think they're visionary. So these plans are really important to our long-term, when I say our Longwood, to Longwood's long-term sustainability and relevance as a great garden of the world. And the manner in which that we need to make this vision happen, it really is going to require the support of the community. So the manner in which that I and others at Longwood are reaching out into the community to embrace them, to include them in that, it really needs to be thoughtful and it needs to be authentic. We have been thoughtful and authentic all along, but this is different for us. Why? It's different because we've been pretty self-sufficient to date and that we've been able to truck along and do things and we've been really entrepreneurial. And so we're now saying, community, we have some really big plans here. And not only do we want you to support it, but we want you to be a part of it in new and different ways that we may have not done before. Mm. So a whole new level of collaboration. And a whole level of collaboration and engagement. And I'm not talking about just engagement of the cocktail set or the decision makers. Right. It's, It's everybody. It's all the thought leaders in the community and the constituencies, no matter who they are. And so that will be new. And I think that that will be really exciting for all of us here at Longwood and for me. Given all of these challenges that we're looking at, uh, current, future, and even past for that matter, this is the opportunity that uh, the point of the show where you get to challenge the rest of the listeners. Bearing in mind all of those lessons that we've just learned from you, the 24-hour influence challenge of the day is an opportunity for you to give everyone else an instruction that is a one-step, one-step process that they can take and complete within the next 24 hours to help them have greater influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Well, I'm going to go for something that's probably a little bit more esoteric that maybe some of your other guests haven't done before. Okay. You'll totally get it because... I I was an academic. I get it. Well, you'll get it, but I also, I work at a garden. I'm all about beauty. And when when I say that, I, I mean that we all need beauty in our lives. And uh, it is as important to us as the air we breathe and the food we eat. And, and we absolutely have to have it. And especially right now, we need it in our lives. And that goes to a point of just mindfulness that may be mm. an overused term sometimes. But I don't think that people really see the beauty that's around them each and every day. And even if they're just walking from your front door to your car, or driving to the grocery store, or even if you're in your backyard, there are moments to observe and to take in beauty that most people are probably missing. And I I guarantee it that they're missing. And I promise you that if anyone listening to this or watching this, you just take 30 minutes to go out into a park or to just go be in nature And to just turn it all off and just to see what's before them and to hear it and to smell it, to engage all your senses, just give yourself 30 minutes. I think that that clarity and what it will do for you and not only reconnecting you with something that we all need, that it'll give you, I think, a gift of clarity and of being able to tackle 
the really big issues and problems that we're all facing and that the world's facing right now. Okay, everybody, your job is to take a moment and literally or figuratively stop and smell the roses, look around and identify beauty in your life. You know, yesterday I was out, it was one of those perfect spring days. It was about 75 degrees, no humidity, blue sky. And after work, I had taken my son for a walk. He's uh, almost four and he's holding my hand. And of course he's little. So really he's just holding my pinky Uh as we're walking. And as we're walking, I said to him, you know, it's a really nice day, isn't it? And he looks up at the sky and he says, it's a beautiful day, mommy. And I just, it went right to my heart. And I just thought, yes, it is. It absolutely is. And for that one moment, everything was perfect. See, that's what it's all about. Yes. Your son gets it. Good for him. He absolutely does. A leader in the making, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's definitely the boss of the house. So (laughs) you've got that right on more levels than one. Now, from here, this is the second part of the interview where you have an opportunity to give advice to others. Aside from being able to learn from your experiences directly, when you think about things like succession planning, career advancement, those kinds of priorities at Longwood, Let's start with the concept of executive presence or leadership presence, command presence, as it's known in other in various contexts. How would you define it and how do you recognize it in others or evaluate it in others? You know, the, well, how, let's start with how I evaluate it. Uh, sure. Because it would be really easy for me to talk about what I don't like in others. Okay. But I think that when, if I'm interviewing somebody or if I'm meeting with colleagues or something mm-hmm. like that, other CEOs, you know, it goes to a factor of authenticity, and you shouldn't be the most important person in the room, mm. because more often than not, you're not. <laughs> there, are, there are other people in the room that are far more smarter than you. And so there's, there's a, a part of that authenticity that is about humility and, and understanding your role as a CEO, and that there comes with it a lot of preconceived notions of who you are and what your personality or whatever it is you're going to do. And so having a bit of humility about yourself and awareness of others and the presence that you have in your room and your ability to listen to others is of the highest, highest importance, I think. Listening. That is often something that people forget as part of communication, that it's not just what comes out of your mouth, it's how well you receive that of others. I think that as a leader and as a CEO, that's, I spend most of my time listening and not talking. And because mm. that's, that's how you take in the information and people want to feel valued, you know, and they yes. want to be heard. And you know what? There's great ideas out there. Yes. And if there aren't, then we shouldn't have hired them in the first place. No, right, right. And then the other thing I would say that when I'm interviewing somebody or, or talking with somebody and they walk in the room and... And I'm evaluating their leadership presence, that it's about their values as a person. Mm. Who are they as a person? And are they a good person? Are they a nice person? Because that's it. You people see you. And, and if you're going to represent Longwood Gardens or represent whatever organization, they're going to judge you really quickly. Yeah. And if they don't think that you're a nice person or a good person, then you're not going to get anywhere. Yes. Yes. And there is definitely an instinct that many people have about that right from the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, First what impressions. Is yeah, what is it? Is it the, I always mess this up. Is it the 7-Eleven rule? Or the, is it like seven impressions within 11 seconds or something like that? A lot of the image consultants that I've worked with often say that people make their first impression of you within the first seven seconds of meeting you. Mm-hmm. And that's just from your physical countenance. To me, I've always said that 
it's the next seven seconds that count because that's when you open your mouth and you either prove those first impressions right or wrong for better or for worse. And it's true. That is absolutely true. Those decisions are informed right then. And then we have the confirmation bias, which just makes us seek information from what you say after that to already prove what we identified from the start, what our gut is telling us, which is not necessarily good, but it is consistent. It can be wrong sometimes. I yes. mean, abs- and you cannot let the gut instinct overtake you sometimes. But more often than not, if I haven't followed my gut, it hasn't worked out. Right. Well, then from there, when you're grooming a high potential employee, maybe for an executive position, what are the three most important skills, communication related, that you look for from promoting from within or from hiring from without? What's really important to me is, is that I really want to hear that person articulate to me that they have established a goal, some goal in life, and it could be personal or professional. It could be getting your doctorate. It could be walking or hiking the Appalachian Trail from beginning to end. But having some goal in life that you said, I'm going to achieve this, and then to hear how you achieved it, Mm. what it took for you to achieve it, and what that outcome was. Interesting. That's what I want to hear. Okay. I don't want to hear just ideas. I want to be able to see in someone that they know how to articulate an idea and that they've demonstrated that they know how to make it happen. Then on the flip side, you mentioned, and you alluded to this a little while ago, that it's easy to talk about the stuff that you don't like with regard to executive presence or the, the things that are the turnoffs. But what is a red flag that could be a career derailer or would otherwise stop you from hiring or promoting somebody? Or I'm all about service. And maybe it's from my land-grant college education and just having it driven into you that you have a commitment and obligation to serve your community and to extend your knowledge to the community and your expertise. When I am with someone, especially interviewing somebody, and especially if it's a senior level position, if I even sense or smell that they are in it for themselves, that it's about what can the institution do for me and how is the institution going to serve me? That's a turnoff for me. Mm. Because for me, it's about I serve Longwood Gardens yeah. or whatever institution that I'm a part of. Even if I'm on their board of directors, I serve that institution. And the institution isn't there to serve me. And so what am I going to do to help to advance that institution? Because I promise you, just my experience has been is that if you bring on somebody like that that doesn't have that service mentality, that especially in a nonprofit organization, mm. they will fail. They will fail because the return that you get and just the community nature of a nonprofit, they won't survive. And they'll take you down with them. Well, they, they will, but, but that service mentality, and I think that, that could apply to so many other factors in our lives. So. Yes. Then what about when you have people who are part of your team and they're managing up? So when your direct or indirect reports have to present information to you, what do you wish they would all do more or less of? What I wish they would do more of, I think that it's about, I hear the truth, and we have a great team and a great culture here at Longwood, and you you know that. You've been a a Yes, yes, wonderful. But I think that more often than not, that sometimes people tell me as the CEO, they tell me things that they think that I want to hear. Or sometimes they may be afraid to tell me the full truth and pull back all the layers of the maybe could be unpleasant facts. 
And so rather than me having to drill down to try to figure out what that may be, just lay it bare to me yeah. and, and tell me the truth, be completely honest and frank. And because we, we have to figure this out together. Right. And, uh, and so I, that's absolutely critical. That's hard, giving the bad news if necessary. It absolutely is, especially if you're delivering it to the CEO. But I have to know. Yes. And if we don't know and if we don't address that as a team, then we're going to fail in whatever endeavor we're undertaking. Okay. So courage is critical. Not fearlessness. Courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. So they need to be courageous with you. Absolutely. I mean, be courageous. And also, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier but have a solution. It's almost like me and my failed communication experience early on. If there's an issue, have a solution. Help me with some ideas as well, or at least demonstrate that you're thinking about that solution. And this is exactly why I like to ask these questions, because for others to be able to listen to you and this is the opportunity for you to say, look, I made this mistake, learn from my mistakes. Don't make the same one twice. There's so many new mistakes out there to experiment with. Try a new one, but don't do mine over again. Trust me on this. So thank you for sharing that wisdom and experience. So this brings us to our last section of the interview, and that's the speed round. And these are some of the most common themes and challenges that people bring up in my training and coachings. And often people feel like they struggle with it, but they're the only one. And this is the opportunity to pull back the curtain on some of these things and let people know, not trust me, we all struggle with that. We've all dealt with that. We all have to work on it one way or another. So in a very short answer, I'm going to ask you where you stand on a couple of things, and then I'll ask you a quick follow-up question from there. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. First point, public speaking, love it or hate it? Do I have to pick one of those two? <laughs> <laughs> you can give me something in the middle. It depends. <laughs> okay. That's usually the answer to most of these, but go ahead. Tell me why. It depends on who. Okay. I have no issue in getting up and speaking in front of anybody. Okay. I really don't have any issues about walking into a crowd of 2,000 people and getting up and talking. I would rather speak to a room of strangers than I would speak to a room of my best friends. Really? Why? Because your best friends know the real you. Mm. They, they know you and also they're going to tell you what they think. <laughs> <laughs> They have that courage that you were referencing a few minutes ago and no fear, I suppose. No, exactly. But but you also have more of a personal connection with those people that you know, and I don't want to disappoint them. And so Mm. that's, that's what it is for me. I don't want to disappoint them. And so give me a room full of strangers and I'll talk to them until the cows come home. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Then when you do have to talk to that audience that can be a little bit more intimidating for whatever reason, what's one tip? that you can offer people on how to manage their nerves and speak with more confidence? This is going to sound so simple. Um, It's just get up and do it. And I think it's about just being authentic and being who you are. I mean, here we are, we're recording this podcast and they say the camera never lies. (laughs) And and so when, when you're up on stage like that, they know you. And so you can't be anything less than who you are. And so don't try to be something else that you're not. And also use that as an opportunity to engage them and to acknowledge them. Right. And you can't do that to a room full of strangers, you know? Mm. And once you have that sense of community and connection, it makes it a whole lot easier because then you're not talking to just these people that, oh, what are they going to think about me in the end? 
you know? Right. That fear of public scrutiny or public judgment is deep. Yeah, because you live with these people. (laughs) (laughs) So, All right. That brings us to the next point. You ready to choose? Let's see where you fall on this one. Okay. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay. So then share with me what's one related strength to being an introvert and one area that you've had to work on and grow from as a result. Well, if I was doing Myers-Briggs, it would come out as an extrovert. But really? I'm really, tr- okay. yeah, it, it would. I'm, I'm really truly an introvert because um, put me in a cocktail party or a dinner party, I would rather speak to the person who probably isn't talking to others and spend time with that person rather than working the entire room. Mm. But I will do that room working if I have to, you know? Okay. I think the strength in being an introvert for me is, is that I need my downtime. So I was talking about the beauty mm-hmm. and how important beauty is. Well, that's important to me. And every day I try to find beauty to be a part of my life. And so those moments, they do recharge my batteries yeah. so that I can be the extrovert that I need to be. Mm, when the time comes, the batteries have been recharged. Absolutely, because I, I'm just not one of those people that I can just keep going and going and going and going. I have to turn it off. And at some point, you get tired of hearing yourself talk. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, and, Even I and, do that. And I know that for people who know me, that's really hard to believe. But trust me, by the end of the day, enough recordings of different things. I'm tired of hearing the sound of my own voice, too. Right. And so you just have to turn it off. And then that's really what supports you in being able to be the extrovert when it's needed. That brings us to the last one, which is with regard to conflict, your genetic makeup, your natural tendency or reflex, is it more about fight, flight, freeze? Are you an engager, an avoider? I say bring it on. And when I say bring it on, I don't mean with the boxing gloves. I mean with let's talk about it. Because it does no one any good to ignore the problems that just exacerbates everything. And so let's just be honest about it. And you may have a different perspective than me, Laura, but somewhere there's the middle. And there are lots of shades of gray. And there's very, very few times in my personal or professional life where it's been black and white. And so I think being open-minded to what those other potential solutions are and what that middle ground may be. Love it. Love it. And conflict is such a scary thing for most people to deal with one way or another, but the ability to do it well is what really separates those who succeed from those who hold back. Well, and I mean, we have to face it, that it happens every day. Yes. I mean, it's every day going to work isn't this walk in the park. And even here- Even when it is walking in the park. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and even, even when it's a beautiful garden, things happen. Yes. And so and you just have to deal with them. Right. Right. Paul, we're at the end here. Tell us, how can people learn more about you and Longwood Gardens? Well, it's a, it's a, I would encourage everyone to go to our website, longwoodgardens.org, or go to any of our social media channels that are out there. Everyone knows what those are. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. And there's just lots of information about what we do at Longwood, how we do it, and how we're really making a difference in the world. And then as far as information about me, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they can find out a bit about you uh, in the social media as well. And certainly on Longwood's page. They've, and of course on our show notes, we'll have lots of information and those links that Paul referenced. You can find those in the show notes for today's episode as well. Is there anything else you'd like to share, Paul? No, Laura, thank you for the opportunity and the discussion. It's been really, really great. And I just appreciate 
your recognition and being a part of Longwood. It is always such a pleasure and I can't wait for the next opportunity to work together so I get to walk through the gardens one more time and see the newest exhibits. You will be here again as well, everybody else. Looking forward to it. And to the rest of our listeners out there, remember, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, please go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you are listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.